0: Hi, I'm John Rogers. I created the show Leverage and Road Transformers, and you're listening to Genre Tainment.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Genretainment Retainment over here at sci We're your hosts, Marks.
2: And Julie, and genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. This is where we give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not so independent creations. It's the last episode of Genretainment in 2014, and for this episode we are speaking with award-winning writer Pamela Douglas about her new book, The Future of Television, Your Guide to Creating TV in the New World.
1: We discuss the changes happening in television, the growth in original series from unexpected places like Netflix and DirecTV, also talk about tips for writers in television, and much more.
2: Now, if you enjoyed Marx's book, Television on the Wild Wild Web, How to Blaze Your Own Trail, then this book and our interview today is right up your alley. One more thing we should mention before this interview, we want to point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality On Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com.
1: Now, let's get to our interview with writer Pam Douglas.
0: Well, welcome to the show, Pam.
3: Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: Well, anyone who knows our show would not be surprised that we were very interested in interviewing you about your new book, the future of television, your guide to creating TV in the new world. We Really enjoyed it. It's packed with lots of interviews and insight. Uh, now we know you previously wrote writing the TV drama series, which I think is third edition. And we're just kind of wondering what motivated you to write this book.
3: The world of television is in an exciting moment. Uh, I, in the book, I compare it to the Big Bang where suddenly everything spins out energetically towards the future. And that's where television is right now. The old idea that the television is a box in the living room is long gone. And now it's characterized by uh, material you can see any place, any anywhere. It's known by its content, which is increasingly respected as great literature, great drama, great storytelling, and I think that we're in a wonderful, wonderful time of opportunity for people who create the television, writers and producers especially. Now, I hadn't actually planned to write another book after the third edition, that can, that's kind of an evergreen Bible for how to write for dramatic television series. And frankly, the publisher said to me, you know, this subject is something that is on everybody's mind. What is happening with all these changes in television? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are plenty of magazine articles. No one has a book on it yet. Would you do it? And I thought, oh, gosh, that's so much work. But... <laughs> <laughs> so you have written a book uh, before? You knew that. <laughs> well, I've written several books before, and I, I, it was like, gee, you know, I actually have other things to do in my life too. Uh, I'm a, I'm a fine artist. I'm a painter. Uh, I'm on the, I'm a professor at USC School of Cinematic Arts, and, um, you know, and I have a garden to tend. Mm-hmm. So it was like, really, uh, this is going to be unlike my. Uh, the um, writing the TV drama series, which was based literally and directly on my personal experience as a writer uh, working in the industry, uh, so I needed no research at all. It was just completely what I already knew firsthand. This one required a lot of diggings. It was two years of work, all of which was becoming out of date as fast as I accumulated it. <laughs> which is a a fascinating experience. So uh, that's a long answer to a short question.
0: (laughs) Well, no, it's kind of interesting because in a way I may be off base, but for some reason my brain thinks of it as you did, you know, writing the TV drama series, and this is almost like a sequel because this is kind of like this was writing the TV drama series, and now we're taking the concept of TV And it's changed so much that now we have to put out another book just to talk about that.
3: (laughs) Well, I think you're you're right. I see the two books as partners in a way. The first one, uh, writing the TV drama series, which, as you pointed out, has had three editions because that had to keep getting updated largely for the same reasons that the industry kept growing and changing. Uh, but that is a craft book. That's for people who really are interested in knowing how to write scripts mm-hmm. that could go on uh, either traditional networks or cable television. And frankly, it came out before the advent of Netflix, Amazon, and so forth. So it's it certainly covers writing for HBO, Showtime, and so forth, AMC. But and is still completely valid as a craft book. Mm-hmm. But you're exactly right. Um, it It isn't a new edition of the other book at all. It's a completely new book. But it does come from the same general franchise of uh, inspiring and um, enlightening people to what it is that you would do if you really want to be In communications today or if you are a creative thinker who wants to do things on visual media and this is a big big leap beyond the other one to all of the possibilities in the future while also acknowledging that the traditional networks are certainly still around as as is you know all the opportunities on cables
1: So, in opening the book, you're very optimistic about the future of television and also about how you you hope everyone else is also uh, you sort of use your experience writing for Star Trek the Next Generation Woohoo. <laughs> 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 <sighs> and and that utopia like future is a type of a positive you know outlook that you have that would be nice yeah, and it's not uncommon to hear that sometimes, but then I do hear sometimes from some people who've struggled in this new change, traditional writers perhaps who have struggled to find work as it's been kind of this revolution happening, this convergence, I guess, and then web series creators who maybe are struggling to, to make money. Oh, yeah. or... The process of the change is always hard. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, I like how, how you did that, and uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? And
3: Yeah. There's several interesting things you said. Um, let me just grab one piece of that which is the uh, the Great Convergence, as it's been called. I, I didn't coin that. It's been called that by others. And the Great Convergence is the uh, converging of the Internet with everything that we have usually meant by television, whether that's broadcast or cable. Uh, when that happened, uh, and is continuing to happen, but it's now here, suddenly the opportunities were different and any time of change uh, discombobulates people who have, are used to functioning in an existing system. The oddity of television now, or you might say the comfort of television now, is that the old coexists with the new, that actually the broadcast networks have not gone away, Mm-mm. Uh they're They're doing rather well, part of the reason they're doing rather well is that they smartened up in terms of having outlets that are beyond what you get by tuning in a channel on a box uh All of them uh can also be accessed in uh you know time flexible ways on Amazon or on Netflix or on Hulu. And elsewhere, Uh, many of them have their own online presence as well. So none of that stops existing. What has happened, though, is that some of the rules have changed. And for, I would say, traditional writers who are used to being on a staff of a show that did 22 or 24 or even 26 episodes Per year, are finding that the landscape that they have been used to for decades is shrinking. That doesn't mean that all of television opportunities is shrinking. Actually, it's growing. But if you look only at the at ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox, you will find that the number of successful shows with giant audiences that existed in the era when there were only three or four networks, is not getting the kind of attention it once had. And in addition, uh, staffs have uh, become smaller. There was a time when, if you go back to the days of uh, some of the great John Wells series, ER, for example, West Wing, there were very, very large writing staffs in various tiers where you'd have the the most seasoned professionals in the inner circle, and there'd be four or five of them, maybe, maybe six, and then you'd have outer rings, uh, so you might have as many as 14 people, including new writers who were just coming on staff in staff writer positions, and that's how people uh, gained their craft and moved up. You rarely, rarely find that now. You find smaller staffs, mostly of people who are either very seasoned professionals or some people who are coming out of the, uh, the fellowship programs that all of the networks and many other organizations have now, such as Warner brothers and humanitas and others, um, who are graduating onto the beginning level staff jobs or people who are starting to work by being, uh, writer's assistants when they would in the past have been staff writers. Uh, Balancing all that is that there are actually more shows by number, so that although the traditional shows uh, that do those very long seasons are shrinking, uh, the number of shows doing uh, 12 episodes, 13 episodes, sometimes even fewer, has grown immensely. So there are more opportunities in more places, but the old opportunities... Have somewhat contracted. Now, you also asked about web series, though, and that's that's a dynamic area that is very much in flux. Also, way back at the beginning of people, pro, you know, doing films or series for the internet, you really had the ultra low budget, uh, almost hobbyist material on YouTube. Very few of those series were real series in the sense that we think of fully scripted shows with uh, professionals working. They were largely friends and family doing things either as hobbyists or on a shoestring, or nowadays more often with Kickstarter budgets. And I do explore somebody who did a Kickstarter show, and so that's that's fairly familiar. What is happening uh, dynamically in people who artistically produce material for the web, we're finding that that's moving in directions that are similar to what's on premium cable, meaning that there are a few very large online outlets for web, setting aside even Amazon and Netflix, but others like uh, Felicia Day's uh, Geek & Sundry and certainly awesomeness t v for for kids or machinima for people who are in the game tradition, very, very large purveyors of material and so you you join them in the same way that an old time maker of show would find a studio, so those are in place of studios in many cases they don't tend to have the budgets that uh, traditional television had, or certainly nothing like what you'd find at Netflix, but it is an outlet. It tends to be a place for beginners. Uh, Some of those shows do move or are discovered online and then get picked up by something like Hulu Plus or E! Entertainment or some of the other outlets. So... There, There is motion there. It has very much changed from the day that cats on skateboards were what you really expect on YouTube. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, people are looking at original creative ways of doing series. Of course, you think about online and you really don't these days think about the little web series. What you really do think of are is Netflix and Amazon. and so
0: forth although now that you say that i still say two minutes of goats yelling like humans is my favorite thing on youtube
3: (laughs) oh okay (laughs) right
0: no it actually um hearing you talk about it 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 seems to me that it's very similar to what the music industry has been going through for quite some time In that Mm -hmm. you know it used to be you know if you sat down to watch tv there's channels and, and if I Love Lucy was on the country was watching I Love Lucy you know but mm-hmm. as time's gone sure. on you know everyone's been able to find their own little niche and with music mm-hmm. it used to be at the beginning of rock and roll I mean you know everybody was listening mm-hmm. to the same music you know, same bands and the same acts mm-hmm. because that's all sure. there was but now it's just everything I mean you can get 50 people in a room and all 50 of them listen to something so completely different and, and mm-hmm. may not even know about half of the other ones. And it's not mm-hmm. that there's less music. There's less, I guess, cohesiveness culturally in terms mm-hmm. of the masses. But then again, it's getting so much more specialized.
3: Right. I think this is this is true. Uh, it mirrors the fragmentation in society generally, but also tells you... That there's a different way of defining a cohort or defining an audience or defining right. a community. Uh, that uh, of those 50 people in the room that you mentioned, they might indeed all watch somewhat different shows. That's not entirely true because there still are very large audiences. Yeah. <laughs> but, but even if you, but let's just, let's take that as an example. But of those fifty people in the room, although they may all watch fifty different shows as their primary interest, there may be a community that they are related to that are not geographically where they are. because one of the qualities of uh, the Internet is that it's global. Mm -hmm. Uh, As I've lectured internationally, I have been very surprised to find that in Africa, in Europe, uh, I'll be going to Brazil soon, that in all of these places whose history is very, very different from that of uh, the American filmmakers uh, or American uh, show producers, Uh, they are nevertheless watching largely American television and for some reason seem to be as involved with these very American shows as we are. Uh It stunned me that in South Africa, for one example, people clearly knew who Don Draper was from Mad Men, Uh although the 1950s in South Africa was... So different from Madison Avenue in the 1950s or 60s, uh, dynamically different in uh, history, but they knew those. And here's another piece of it, that at the time that I mentioned this to them, uh, this was a year ago, uh, AMC did not have an outlet in South Africa. So there's no way they could have possibly <laughs> gotten Mad Men or know it that well from AMC. They were bootlegging it off the internet, uh, but they were all bootlegging it off the internet <laughs> because wow. everybody knew it absolutely well, uh, better perhaps than than the people here because they watched all of the episodes and they were streaming them back then. That's so awesome. uh, it, it's a fa- it was a fascinating insight I got from traveling there. Um, but you mentioned um, the fragmentation in society. And uh, you do find uh, positive and negative Mm -hmm. results of these smaller audiences. One is that that the purveyors of material, the producers, the studios even, are able to put on a show like Breaking Bad, which would never have gotten a large enough audience Mm -hmm. in the days of the three networks. But now a niche audience that is enthusiastic or passionate about the content is actually more desirable than a gazillion people who kind of sort of don't care. Yeah. And this is also something that appeals to advertisers as well. So we're finding that smaller but dev- devoted audiences are valued and leveraged uh, the ability to make a higher quality of literature because you're not trying to be all things to all people, mm-hmm. which used to dumb down programming on the uh, three two traditionals and, and to some degree still does.
0: Yeah. Well, that's like the, the small, really devoted audiences, like these cult followings. I mean, you know, X-Files had such a, a cult following, and, and now mm-hmm. I know uh, I I love Supernatural. It's in its 10th season. It would have never made it, unlike a major network, and they don't pull in numbers that really compare to the hits mm-hmm. on the major networks. But it is such a devoted audience. And, I mean, mm-hmm. they, have these, they have these conventions worldwide. These, you know, fans will drop five, $600 to go on a vacation mm-hmm. to a convention to meet the actors yeah. and, and to rub elbows with them. And, and you know, that, so if you looked at it in a traditional sense, you'd go, oh, these numbers aren't great. But if you look at it in kind of the new world setting, you realize, wow, this is you know, we're kinda of sitting on a gold mine because we have such devoted fans and they're gonna That's keep nice. it on the air and they're gonna stick with us and they're gonna word of mouth and you get people that are online and like you said, conversing from, you know, South Africa to Canada to, you know, the Midwest and America to Germany and everybody is speaking the same language, which is their their love of you know their their fans mm-hmm. of the show, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so yeah, it's it's kind of like if if you can find a way to make that new world order sort of work for you, um, it it really is going to work.
3: Yeah, uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, you mentioned the genre material, and certainly with all the comic cons and so forth, uh, that's one kind of devoted audience, but it's mm-hmm. not the only kind. Uh, there are people who are passionately interested in just great quality. Right. Uh one of the one of the reasons that HBO uh has gone or is going in twenty fifteen is going to streaming is that uh they realize that there is an audience that just can't afford those bundles uh that include HBO on the on the big cable systems. Uh, and so a lot of people who Really would love uh, that quality of material. Uh, aren't seeing HBO purely for financial reasons, and or so they're are going bootlegging
0: to... it. <laughs>
3: That's right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so they're they're going to a different model. They're going to the streaming model. I'll tell you, there's a, a slight uh, risk with all the applause that come with getting rid of these. Uh, obnoxious cable company bundles mm-hmm. and certainly nobody likes their cables I mean I don't know anybody who loves Comcast Verizon, AT&T and you know those guys uh, you know they're, they're felt to be more or less extorting customers and in many areas there's only one uh, there's no competition you know you only can have Time Warner or you can only have Comcast in that area whatever it is Um and so there's a lot of resentment of cable companies, uh, which is why people so much are embracing the, uh, what HBO is doing, it, which is you know breaking that bond and letting you buy everything a la carte and what Netflix also has. Um, but there's a slight downside that nobody is noticing, which is when you have those giant bundles, there is sometimes a tiny uh, channel that is uh, you know l- low cost it's just part of the basic bundle and it's somebody putting on interesting material that you might notice if you ca- if you channel surfing one day mm. and if you truly pick and choose all of the a la carte things that you want some little channel over there that could be discovered by somebody that does arts or does animals or does you know whatever it is that people care about deeply is something you you won't get you're you, missing you out have on to finding really a gem. Find it yeah you you have to make an effort to find it so uh everything has a side effect i think it's inevitable anyway i don't think these cable bundles are going to continue in general i think we're going to go to uh all internet streaming regardless it's it's all going to be one device and the only thing that's going to matter is what is the show? What is the thing? What is the content? It's all content-driven. It's not so much driven by uh, business or technology or anything else. It's it's do you really love The Walking Dead enough to uh, subscribe to AMC, or could you even just watch The Walking Dead? I think AMC would be smart if they don't let that happen, because if it does... How will they finance the rest of their network? Because Walking Dead is basically financing all of AMC, uh, many of AMC's shows right now. But it's all fascinating. It also is all mostly good news for creative people, though, because content is king. Uh, You can say what you want about technology or business models or who owns this or that, but ultimately it's the creators of the stories and the characters that people want and that is what is going to drive the future as it has always driven all literature in all forms
1: I hadn't thought about how hard it must be for a new cable company to actually try to start nowadays yeah although remember
0: back when we uh, we had cable or channel surfing and that's when we saw a commercial for the middleman on ABC Family and and we loved that show it only lasts like 13 episodes because nobody else knew about it apparently (laughs) (laughs) But it was good. But like you tell people, and they're like, "I've never heard of that." And and yeah. it, you know, it wasn't something that was advertised well. I think we only saw like two commercials for it ever. <laughs> we just happened to be changing the channels and have at that moment to see it. Otherwise, we never probably would have heard of it either.
3: It's a real challenge to find stuff, uh, or even if you know about it, to watch everything. I find myself. Really overwhelmed with yeah. all of the op- all of the options. Now, I'm so, I mean this is my business. I'm supposed to keep up with, you know, seeing stuff on the air. Uh, but that's a full time like, job in and of itself. Yeah. I can't. I can't. <laughs> every every once in a while somebody says, "Oh, have you seen this? It's so great," and I have to say, "When?" <laughs> you know, I you know I pick and choose the four or five things that are great and the others I will get to it when I can get to it. Uh, you know, uh, what can you do? I'm currently watching The Affair on Showtime and love that. I think it's uh, w- w- brilliant. I am also trying to catch up with Transparent on Amazon, uh, which you know can be streamed in entirety, but I don't have time to sit and watch all 13 hours. you know, I'm up to maybe... Five hours of it. I intend to watch it. I think Jeffrey Tambor is doing a brilliant job of, uh, of, uh, a, a middle-aged dad who, uh, becomes a woman. I think it's it's a fine franchise. He's a brilliant actor. I just don't have time to watch it all the time. It's like, gee, do I? And it's only a half hour. It's like, do I have half hour to catch that show now? Um, I will always watch Orange is the New Black. Uh, I I'm anxious for the final season of House of Cards. You know, I will watch Game of Thrones when it's back for sure. Yeah, And so I, I, Masters of Sex on Showtime has gotten better and better. And there are other things that I watch, but there's a list of things that, you know, wow. I have to hand it to the good wife on CBS. They, those dear, brilliant writers managed to produce, I think it's twenty four or 26 episodes a year of consistent quality. Mm -hmm. How in the world do they do that much work? I don't know. Uh, But good for them. Good for them. Uh, I do think that's of the past, though. Nobody wants to write that much a year, and it's hard to maintain quality if you're doing that many episodes a year. I think we're in a world now of uh, what sometimes is called a limited series or or the 12 or 13-episode season.
1: Yeah, the British model when it first started. Right? <laughs> yeah. So they were.
3: Um
1: a lot of them still
0: are only, you know, a few episodes a year. It's, you know, if you're used when I first started watching more British programming, I'm like, how is that a season? Wait. I just wanted to wait until there were two or three seasons out to watch it, so it felt like it was worth my yeah. while. <laughs> I yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Now a lot of television is, is falling. We have a lot more seasons. Yeah, British, now we're getting more British, used but, to it. But, um,
3: There's another t- trend we're seeing, which in a way is not so great for original creators, but it is happening, which is uh. Books, as the basis of uh, of long series is a great series on stars called Outlander yes. now stars is, a, is another example of one of those cable channels that has uh, high value premium programming. You may or may not subscribe to it, and certainly some of the stuff is not everybody's taste, but Outlander was a series of books. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was immensely popular. So Ron Moore, who was the uh, great uh, creative mind behind uh, Battlestar Galactica, Galactica. a fabulous series, um, then uh, decided to get the rights to these books and is now the showrunner on Outlander, which is a beautiful, beautiful series. It just had one season. Uh, I think 12 episodes uh, waiting for the next one. Um, A a case where there is a female lead who is uh, fully realized. And that's, that's always marvelous. It's another case with an international cast as well. Uh, It is filmed in Scotland. Uh, It uh, is about Scotland in the 1700s and completely delivers on that. It's, visually gorgeous and uh, and beautifully done. And here's a case of something, again, that even though they had a successful book series underlying it, probably could not ever have been produced on a traditional network. It's It's just too artistically involving. And even though it has a very good audience, probably not enough for what the traditionals would have wanted, mm. I'm guessing.
1: And there seems to be a growth in that. There always has been that in movies, books being translated to movies, but it seems like there's a lot more television shows being translated, or, excuse me, books being translated to television shows. Yeah. And there's that niche audiences, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Very nice. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that too. We actually just watched... A brand new show on Netflix, uh, Marco Polo. Just
3: the first episode. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, What do you think? Uh, It's interesting. We only saw one episode. We only saw the
0: one episode. Did not binge very well. (laughs) No, (laughs) apparently we're crappy bingers. But uh, it was it it was good. It was interesting visually. It was very beautiful. It was very ambitious in terms of you know just cinematography and and all that. And, and it kind of uh, it set a lot of stuff up so you kind of get the feeling a lot more stuff's going to happen like starting right sure. about now they had a lot to work into that first episode but it was I, I thought it was really interesting i'm i'm looking forward to we no, we
1: don't, we don't to, see ancient china right Asia very we were talking often.
0: about how here when we talk about oh a period piece we generally are thinking of like 1800s england or something you know <laughs> mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to get you know, a historical television show set somewhere other than you know America or Europe, and get it over mm-hmm. into Asia, and it was just, it was, you know, it's just so that alone made it, you know, worth its while worth your while to watch yeah. it because it was like, aha, wow, this is cool, it's something I don't get to see all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to see. I have not yet uh, viewed it. Uh, you know, it's time uh but I have high regard for Ted Sarandos, who I interview extensively in the book he's chief contact uh, content officer at uh, at Netflix, you know the guy who's got his hand on the pulse of what shows they're going to do. He was wonderful to interview first of all, he was open, thoughtful, forthcoming, and really interested in in quality. The, all of obviously they make money, I mean, nobody's doubting that, mm-hmm. but his conversation was entirely about the meaningfulness of what's on Netflix and the uh and the literary quality of it as well. He had just great respect for for writers and uh all of the artists that go into making visual media and I found him so intelligent and enlightened. It was one of my best interviews, and and it was so wonderful for me to hear how generous everyone was in, in contributing to the book. I think that many of the people who I spoke to uh, on all of the channels, outlets, the writers, producers, executives, were actually anxious to be able to talk about this subject which is curious to them as well as it is to the uh to the readers because it's all new and it's exciting but it's also puzzling so people are trying actively to figure out what is going to shake out none of the people i interviewed anywhere uh were willing to make a solid prediction more than 5 years out and i thought that was uh interesting because businesses generally have to plan uh well ahead but none of them were willing to talk about how much change there would be in just the next few years they were really looking at trying to uh hold on to the bronco they're writing right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) it changes so fast like web web television years are like dog years
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's uh you could say this about technology as well, but television in all of its meanings has so much range, it's so much impact in terms of its persuasive influence on all kinds of people that uh it's a it's something of a responsibility as well as an opportunity and Many of the people I talked to were were well aware of what is the value of what we're saying, who are we speaking to, and what's gonna what's gonna happen as a result of this so there was a much more thoughtfulness uh going on than I had initially anticipated uh among among the executives, particularly a little bit different for the people who were just struggling to get into the business because they were on on their own project. But I also found that uh, among people who were the direct personal makers, in other words, writers, directors, producers, somebody like Amy Berg, a lovely person, did a uh, show on uh, YouTube called Caper, which was just nominated for a Writers Guild Award in uh, the... I uh, uh, forget what the, they're calling that division now. But anyway, the certainly the online web series division. Amy's show caper was just nominated in that category, which is a new category. And yet Amy is now uh, also back to working on a show that's on stars and has done mainstream stuff simultaneously because the problem with the web series, even a an award-winning one that is well-received and has had some critical acclaim just doesn't make the kind of money Mm-mm. Uh Generally, people who do those shows are lucky if they break even. Uh, You don't make a living on that any more than a poet makes a living on uh, (laughs) writing poems. You do it because you want to do it, but it's not, at this point, really a career. You generally work somewhere else. It's a little bit akin to playwriting, where somebody might want to write and put up a play. Uh, They probably will lose money on it. But if they want a career, they're going to go get a job on a TV show, if they can, or work at something else, and that's that is that's typical of uh, of shows. Even like some, even for somebody like Amy, who uh, did another fine interview in the book, and there's a whole chapter about you know small chapter about her and what her process was in getting her web series done. and she's certainly an ardent advocate that all everything is going to be online now. She doesn't even like the term web series. She calls them just digital series, mm-hmm. which is a funny thing because everything's digital now. But anyway, <laughs> um, but yet to make a living honestly, she's you know, she's working on a regular show now. So we we mostly all do everything because you have to and because it's there to be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think it's fascinating just to bring up Netflix again about how they've transformed over the years from being DVD mail delivery rental type company to Yeah, now,
0: that's what it was.
1: Now you know a major streaming network of their own con- own Original, original content.
0: Oh, <laughs> we I love Hemlock Grove. I would call it a guilty pleasure, but I never feel guilty about my pleasures. <laughs>
3: so, <laughs> Yeah, that uh, was not successful for them, but they have so many other things that are. Yeah, that, um, well,
0: The House of Cards was their first one. And, and it Orange is really, the New Black. Yeah, or, and Orange is the New Black. Orange is the and,
3: New Black, yeah. Actually, the, I, think those Kona, are the two, yeah. I think
0: those are like their main powerhouses.
1: I, I, saw, an article, they are. I saw an article recently. Um, hopefully I'm not messing up this number, but if I remember correctly, Netflix plans on trying to getting up to the point where they have an original series uh, releasing new content every like two and a half weeks or so. Wow. So they have quite a quite a
3: ambitious. ambitious
1: slate. Well, of you
3: know, the reason they can do that um they said one is that Netflix is a network, it's not a production company. No production company could do that. Uh so other people are producing and Netflix is uh streaming it. However, um Netflix has a deal with Marvel and uh oh, yeah. I think part of that is uh, a reflection of the Marvel production schedule that they're able to provide all of that additional content. I don't know why anybody would do a new show every two and a half weeks. I that I hadn't heard that, and I think it mm, doesn't sound so good to me <laughs> because only only because. There's only so much that anybody can see. You'll start undercutting
0: your own audience at some point.
3: Yeah, I don't know that that's quite true. I I do know that they have a a big library, and that may be what they're referring
1: to. And I suspect Netflix. It seems like they try to, and I think you mentioned this in the book also, is they try to hit different niche audiences with their different shows. So right. someone who watches House of Cards might not watch Hemlock Grove, for example, right. or something else.
3: Right, and and the people uh, who are fans of all those Marvel shows that they're going to be rolling out, lots of, I I forget how many they have, but a lot of them Mm -hmm. are not necessarily House of Cards or even Orange is the New Black. That's right. Right. Uh, But you can do that. You can do that if you are Netflix. You couldn't do that if you were the big three traditionals. In addition, although something like HBO has an array of programming. Uh, Veep is not the same show as uh, Game of Thrones, you know, just for example. Uh, So they certainly have an array of programming. There is a sense of the HBO brand that there's a certain quality that you expect when you go to HBO. Olive Kittredge, which was just four hours, uh, so that's considered what used to be called a miniseries, was a, a beautiful, beautiful piece of work Character-driven, very subtle, deep. Francis McDormand uh, starring. That is what you think of when you go to the HBO brand. Other places are trying to rebrand themselves. As I said, with stars, they never had the out, the audience, the women's audience that watch Outlander, and they have just opened up a vast terrain of people who didn't bother, you know, signing up the stars, which has tended to do mail oriented programming before. So all of a sudden, they've got a whole new spectrum available. But again, for people on the creative side, which is the side I'm on and not on the business or the executive or network programming side, for people who are creative, this is all really good news because the more outlets there are, the more places there are to do original material and the more opportunities there are to go ahead and write and produce what you really want without worrying too much about the buyer because there are so many different buyers out there and because you don't necessarily need something that will appeal to uh, everyone everywhere as long as it appeals to someone somewhere Uh and as long as the quality is truly, truly there, which kind of cycles back to my other book, Writing the TV Drama Series, because I say in this book about the future of television that, listen, we can talk about all of the possibilities, but on the bottom line is you have to do a good, solid, professional work. So it's not like you can imagine, oh, I'm going to go off and do this because there's opportunity. Learn your craft first. It's like a musician who says wow they're hiring a lot of uh, violinists at the Philharmonic I think I'll go over there and apply well <laughs> you know what You know, learn to play the violin first <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> I like that <laughs>
1: yeah I think it's a great creative opportunity I think some people have been calling it the golden age of television right now because of the, of the sheer quality yeah. of, of yeah. series yeah 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 yeah, Absolutely. yes, for being around for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real, yeah. And uh, and I'm fascinated about who everybody's throwing their hats into original content now because I mean I was surprised. I don't know why I didn't hear about it sooner, but I was surprised the Discover a show, you know, on Directv the. There might have more yeah. than one show, but we we're watching Show Kingdom, and I was just like, huh, Directv is making shows. <laughs> just, that's another one. We've
0: just seen like, what three episodes? My God, that's good. good. And uh, <laughs> we're like, why didn't we oh, hear I'm about sure, this before? Yeah. And, you know, now we're like, we got to catch up. and We'll get there eventually.
3: I'm sure Chris Long over at uh, DirecTV would be thrilled to hear that because, uh, yes, they have thrown their hat in the ring, and so has everyone <laughs> because they found out something simple, which is that if you provide something that people want, they will come watch it. And the competition is about what is your show? How good is it? How much right. do I love it? Not really about what channel is it on, what was before or after it. or What time does it come on? <laughs> uh, yeah, what time does it come on? Or or even to a degree, what system is it on? Uh, although something like DirecTV means you have to subscribe to them to get that show, which is... Uh, why they're trying to do it because otherwise why do you need direct tv as opposed to any number of other things so it's uh, on that level uh there there really is a lot of wrangling for for eyeballs for us it's all good because we are the ones they want uh both as viewers and as creators so you know i would say to anybody who wants to write produce create material, really come from your truth. Don't censor yourself by saying, oh, I'm going to imitate something out there that was successful two years ago or even this year uh, because that's been done. No, come from what your strength is. Be bold. Be courageous. Uh, do the best you can. Don't compromise. Don't order down. Don't censor yourself. Really do the great stuff because that's what will open the doors for you.
1: I think that's great advice. All right. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to, to mention that we haven't covered?
3: That my book can be bought on Amazon.com. <laughs> and if you like it, please give it five stars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good response. Yes. Well, and uh, it's
3: available in time for the holidays if you want to yeah. give it as a gift. <laughs> I don't know when this podcast is going to be on, but yes.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I didn't want to mention it. I really like the cover of the book, too. I, I think it's really catchy. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I don't do the cover, even though actually I'm also a painter and also a fine artist. The, the covers are done by the publisher, who does uh, wonderful covers, so I, I appreciate what they did, and uh, it it expresses uh, both future and hopefulness, and, um, and the whole idea of the title, the Future of Television subtitle, Your Guide to Creating TV in the New World, is really what this is, and because... I think people out there are in need of and in want of some sort of guide because there's so much happening. Yeah, that's, that's why I did it.
1: Yeah, everything's happened so fast; it's kind of a, yeah. a, a bit of a education lag, I guess. Mm-hmm. People
3: learning exactly how to get involved. Well, in good this Lord, thing. it takes
0: you so long to catch up, and by the time you catch up, they've already moved on. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's right. Yeah. Well, it's not too late though, because no. this is this land of opportunity right now. <laughs>
0: it's a gold rush for the internet.
3: So uh, one
1: one last question. Let's let's uh, do something crafty real quick. Um, I don't know if you if you cover this or not in this book, but you know your last book is about writing dramas. So I'm curious if, mm-hmm. of all the interviews you've done for this new book. You know, is there some new tip you would give to uh, a writer of a drama series that that may have to write for new media or for for one of these other like newer networks? Um, That you would advise them of
3: yeah of course the underlying tip or piece of advice is the one i said before which is don't censor yourself go for really go for your truth and and do well but in terms of changes from old to new older media uh was organized for the commercial breaks and that was partly uh not partly that was mostly what created the structure, the four-act structure that then became the five-act and the six-act structure. If you look at HBO, Showtime, Stars, Netflix, Amazon, they do not have commercial breaks, although AMC does and certainly all the traditional networks still do and some online forms also still do. However, once you don't have the commercial breaks, you don't have the need for exactly the same act structure. I have found, though, in looking at the actual scripts for uh, shows, for example, on HBO and Netflix, that even though the act breaks don't appear in the scripts, when writers write them, they're still writing in a rhythm that works dramatically. So... My advice to writers is go ahead and use that structure, which is four acts or five plus a teaser, and then drop out those act breaks in the final version when you present it to a uh, an outlet that does not have commercial breaks, simply because it will help you structure the storytelling. Mm-hmm. That said there is a little more fluidity in the storytelling and if you are also looking at uh YouTube series in particular those tend to be not in the 13 to 15 minute acts uh that occurred both that occur on every place else but tend to be shorter 8 to 10 minutes uh per module you might say uh and one one evolvement is that people are doing 12 episodes of roughly 10 minutes each that builds to a 120-minute movie. So it's the same length as a full-length feature film. It's two hours, but it's in 8- uh, to 10-minute modules. So that is actually a slightly new form. The sense of dramatic writing is the same, but that's one structural difference that isn't in the earlier book because it didn't exist at that time. So that's that's something a little bit new. But storytelling is still storytelling. It still has to do with characters, motivation, conflict, all of the elements that go all the way back to Aristotle. So um, it, the big advice is still, if you want to be a writer, the first thing is to write well.
1: Yeah, learn to craft
3: Good your yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, great. Well, it's been great speaking to you. Before we go, where can our listeners find you and your book online?
3: Uh, the book is best found at Amazon.com. Uh, the link would be too hard to tell you on the phone, but <laughs> I, can, uh, I can email it to you and you can post it sure. uh, if you'd like. But if you just go to Amazon.com and the book section, right in uh, The Future of Television by Pamela Douglas, you will find the book easily. And I have a books website as well, which is www.pamdouglasbooks.com. Mm-hmm. I also happen to have an art website for my painting, if anybody likes that, which is pamdouglasart.com. So it's com for the books and com for paintings. And otherwise, uh, just go to Amazon and you will find the book and the other book. You'll find both books there.
1: This is Chris Vogler. I'm the author of The Writer's Journey, Mythic Structure for Writers, and also Memo from the Story Department, Secrets of Structure and Character. And you're listening to Genretainment.
2: Well, thanks, Pam, for the enlightening interview. And we had fun speaking with her, and you can find those links in the show description. Now, before we go, we want to remind you that you can keep track of us on our Genretainment Facebook page, Marks' Twitter account, which is at Mr. MrMarks, our website at Genretainment.com, or all of the shows at SciFiPulseRadio.com.
1: So that's it for today's Genre Tainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series.
2: Genre Tainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until Until next time!
1: Bad monkey.